on today's episode, we are welcoming NHL alumni Jason York, who is going to talk about his career in the NHL, what it was like to be traded between a few different teams so early in his career, what it was like to play for hometown Ottawa Senators, and then what it was like really to celebrate in Nashville, celebrate the Calder Cup, and experiences along the way as well. Before we bring Jason onto the show, we of course would just like to give a shout out to our marketing team and our production team, Jay Salty Photography and Bickmar Productions for the work that they do each and every week on the episodes, and shout out to 19 Marketing for the merch for the show, for the hats and t-shirts that are now available for sale. Also, guys, if you haven't done so yet, use the discount code The Players Experience when you're using uh, anything towards Hush Blankets, the Great North Apparel, or the Jaywalk to get some great discounts on some of their merch because you won't be disappointed. And lastly, guys, we're back. We're excited. Subscribe to the show. Don't miss out on future episodes. Click the subscribe button and hit the bell. Hit the follow. Make sure you're following the show so that you don't miss any new and upcoming episodes as we kickstart this month of September and keep rolling through uh, each and every week. So welcome back. I'm excited. Let's get Jason onto the show and start talking about his NHL career. Jason, how are you today? I'm great. Great. Great to be on the podcast with you. Yeah, thank you so much for taking time. Uh, how have things been in this whole like pandemic lifestyle we're living in right now? It's getting better. I, I, being here in Ottawa, uh, Ottawa's done a real nice job with everything and uh, starting to get the feeling that everything's getting really close to getting back to normal. I coach a junior hockey team and we're supposed to get started in August, the Kempfield 73s, so I'm, I'm pumped for that and really excited for the boys to get back to playing hockey again. Awesome. Yeah, it'll be so nice to go back to, like, this new normal, but somewhat, like, of a new lifestyle. And, like, I've got a bunch of concerts lined up for the fall. I'm, I'm ready to go. So, uh, yeah, right it'll be a good time. Um, so yeah, so thanks for taking the time to be on the show. Um, before we get into it, I like to start off every show I do by starting a rapid fire segment. So I've got four questions for you. And first thing that comes to mind, just fire away. So favorite time of day? Oh, I'd say the mid morning. Okay. Strangest thing in your fridge right now? Oh, wow. Uh, you got me on that. Oh, uh, organic. Organic, uh, freshly made dog food that we feed our 16-year-old Yorkshire Terrier. Okay, okay. That's, that's definitely a new one. I haven't heard that before. It's good. All right. Don't skip, don't skip the kibble. It's a new business here in Ottawa. There's a pump up for uh, my good friend, Heather Bruce. Yo, shout out, skip the kibble. Ottawa folks, go get it. Uh, <laughs> TV show that you're currently watching right now. Oh, I'm watching that one, The Winter Soldier and the, uh, I think, The Hawk. It's, uh, it's on the Disney Channel. Okay, a couple good movies. Uh, and uh, another sport that you would want to compete in outside of hockey? 100% golf. Hey, so once, once things like open up a little bit more and you can make, well, I mean, you're only in Ottawa, I'm in Durham, so you're only four hours away. Make a trip down to Durham, and we'll go golfing together. Sounds good. 
So with that, where did the passion for hockey begin for you? And like, how did you know you wanted to become an NHL player? I'll be honest with you. I, I never really thought of that. That's what I would do. I, I just played hockey because my older brothers did. Uh, I got two older brothers, Jamie and Jeff. They played. So I watched them. My sister played. My younger brother played. My dad played some goalie. So it was, it was just something I did. It was part of the family. I did a ton of uh, outdoor rink ODR growing up. We had one in the backyard for a bit, but just going to the local school rink. And I just, uh, I just played hockey. I played road hockey. I played in the driveway. I, I played at the, you know, for me, the, the fun and the passion came from, I guess, playing outdoor hockey, unstructured outdoor hockey. That's where the passion for me uh, came from. Okay. And hey, that's the best kind of hockey. Cause I mean, being a Canadian like yourself, I can't skate where shit for for the life of me. <laughs> like for me, it was I was sticking to road hockey and ball hockey. I played eight years of ball hockey and, and I loved it. Yeah. But well, I, I used to play. So I grew up in an area in the Pian, which is a suburb of Ottawa. All my buddies were Italian. None of them could skate. So we had a weekly road hockey game at the at our grade school where every Saturday we'd play. And then in the, in the wintertime, my buddies would come and try skating out. They weren't the best skater. I'll tell you what, Italian guys, after the whistle, those guys know how to get it done. They're, uh, they're, they're, they're scrappy. Hey, that's good. You got to get a few scrappy guys on your team, you know? So when you were drafted in 1990 by the Detroit Red Wings in the seventh round, what was the feeling like for you to know that you not only made it to the NHL and – then what was like the most um or like the number one thing you were looking forward to tying up the skates for the first time during the 92-93 season after like you said kind of not thinking you were going to get into hockey and then finding yourself there well i'll tell you it wasn't easy and and getting drafted for me was a little bit of a, a process i was actually two years prior to that i was playing uh, as a rookie in hamilton I was rated, I believe, 30th in the draft. Went to the draft, sat in the Montreal form, didn't get picked. So went home after that draft, ended up playing the next year, getting traded to Windsor, didn't get drafted again. So it took three times for me. And, and in the third time, it was in Vancouver. I didn't even want to go to the draft. I didn't want to go through that, that whole uh, scenario again of maybe not getting picked. So I went there. Uh, it took a long time, six hours. I went, ended up going in the seventh round, and I didn't even think I was going to get picked because it was getting late in the draft. So for me, the draft was very stressful. And to cap matters off, after, after the draft, I uh, flew back to Ottawa, uh, got stuck in the 401 in an eight-hour traffic jam, driving back from, from Windsor, where I'd where I, uh, been with my then girlfriend who's now my wife and and when we got it I don't know if you've ever been in the traffic jam of the 401 but eight hours standing still going to the draft I ended up breaking it with shingles after the draft <laughs> That's <laughs> just the whole lead up and the pressure so that draft wasn't a great experience uh, I was happy to get picked but then heading into Detroit uh, that next year at training camp it was uh, I ended up going back to play a year overage in Windsor had a great year in Windsor, but uh, but I'll tell you a funny story. My, the, the first contract I ended up signing with the Red Wings. Yeah. You know, if most people are familiar, you, you, when you sign, there's a, a major league clause, which your salary in the NHL is, and your minor league clause. So most guys sign a two a two way contract. 
your NHL and your American League contract, I signed a four-way. Okay. <laughs> My first contract was a four-way deal, which back then, this is uh, 1992, I could either play in Detroit, and I'll tell you, my salary then would have been 120,000. Okay. The American League, Adirondack, which was 30 grand, or go down to the Fort Wayne Comets uh, in the IHL and make 27, or the best part of this contract, go down to the East Coast League, make 22 grand, and play for John Brophy, who was coach of the uh, East Coast Hampton Road Admirals. So for me, I had heard all the stories of John Brophy. I did not want to go down to the East Coast League because back then it was a complete gong show. Yeah. So for me, I knew I wasn't going to make Detroit. Uh, they were stacked back then. They had Paul Coffey, Mark Howe, Nick Lidstrom, Vladimir Konstantinov. It was stacked. And then down in the AHL, they had a huge uh, log jam of the first round or the second round or the Russian free agents, all these guys. So for me, my goal was not to go down and play for the Hampton Road Admirals in the East Coast Hockey League. So lucky for me, Barry Melrose was coaching in the American League, took a liking to me. We ended up winning the Calder Cup that first year, but my aspirations were just to survive the American League and eventually get a chance to play for Detroit. Now, going back to that traffic jam for a sec, did you at least have a hockey stick in your back car, where back seat, where like you could toss around the puck a little bit, like on the freeway while you're stuck there? Oh man, no, it was hell. It was one of those traffic jams where you are not moving. Like literally, the there's a huge there's a huge 18 wheeler uh, that got in an accident just past Kingston. Our car didn't move for six hours. So finally, we just pulled off the road, went to a little uh, motel in Kingston, and, and just waited it out. I drove back to Ottawa the next day, and then uh, broke it with shingles two days later. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, sorry, going back to your uh, to the AHL, what was it like for you to have that connection and kind of be able to to put yourself there versus going out to the East Coast League? It's just you know back then. When you're when you're trying to make it as a as a pro hockey player, you're just every day you're you're just you're you got to be on your toes and you got to be you got to come to the rink. And my I always tell people this when I would go to the rink, the first thing I would do is I'd see if my nameplate was still up on my stall. Uh, so I'm like, all right, check one, I'm still here. And then uh, you would just it's a battle every day. Like back then. You really had to earn it, um, and I like that about about the early '90s. It was it didn't matter where you were drafted, whether you're the first round, the second round, the seventh round. You're all battling, and and the best players ended up making it. And and like I said, Barry Melrose was the coach back then. We had a really good team, and uh, we ended up winning the Calder Cup. But that whole year for me was you had to battle every day in practice. I remember we got to the playoffs. I was a healthy scratch for the entire first three rounds of the playoffs. I didn't play a game in like two months. And then when I finally got to the final series, uh, we were playing the uh, St. John's Maple Leafs, which was Toronto's farm team. I didn't get into a playoff game until game, game three of the finals. And I ended up playing really well when I finally got my opportunity. Uh, and we won that series. There were some big names. A lot of people in that series, there's any hockey historians watching. The coach of St. John's was Mark Crawford. 
This is a great one too. The assistant coach of that team was Joel Quenville. And not only was he the assistant coach, he also played D. So he was like a Reg Dunlop from Slapshot. He was playing D and ran the D for St. John's. So it was pretty funny. We're playing in St. John's. Joel Quenville's coaching the D and playing D. And the other interesting thing about this series, Brian, no team won a game at home. So all seven games were won on the road. We ended up winning the Calder Cup in game seven in St. John's. And after the game, I'll never forget this, we get on the bus and all the fans from, I think the rink was called the St. John's Memorial. It was an old historic arena and the fans were crazy in there. They started rocking our bus. So we're trying to leave and our whole bus is surrounded by everybody in the rink and they're rocking our bus and we're like, man, this thing might tip over. Anyhow, they're having some fun. They ended up getting out of the way and our bus got out of there. Flew back to uh, to Adirondack and had a party for about seven days straight. Hey, that's the way it needs to be, you know. And I'm with you. I, I like the the aspect of the component of hockey where, like, today, in today's hockey world, you see so many people like you'll just get paid and you can be the worst player out there. But it's just <laughs> guys are based off money now, right? Versus before, it's like, okay, you really truly had to earn your spot, and that was the true competitive hockey, like. Yeah, it's just, I prefer that method a lot more. <laughs> right on. So during the first few years in, your, in the league, uh, after you were drafted, you were traded from Detroit to Anaheim and then to your home team of Ottawa. What was the feeling like for you to be traded kind of like that many times between those three teams in such a short amount of years, but then ultimately to land in Ottawa and play for your hometown? Yeah, it was, so when I first got traded from Detroit, to Anaheim, it, it was pretty shocking. And I'll tell you a funny story. I, uh, I actually got traded, I believe, while we were in the air. Uh, back then, Detroit, they were one of the first teams to have their own jet. So it was called Redbird One, and we're flying out to Anaheim. But on the, on the way out to play out there, the plane stopped, and it was near the trade deadline. We went down, and we stopped in New Jersey, and all of a sudden, Fatisov comes on the plane. So we pick up uh, Fatisov, who's a defenseman. So everybody knew something was going to go on once we landed out in California. So when we finally did, Mike Sillinger and myself were, uh, were traded to Anaheim. I think it was for Stu Grimson. Uh, back then, every team, you had to have a tough guy. Bob Probert had some off-ice issues going on at the time, and, and it was well-known Detroit needed a, an, enforcer, an enforcer. So I got traded for Stu Grimson. Ended up going to play in Anaheim for the next years, which was great. Uh, and then uh, after year two, a little bit of a shock getting traded to Ottawa, but it was a homecoming for me. I'm from Ottawa, which was great. Got to uh, spend a lot of time with my folks who were able to come to all the games. So that, that, was, uh, that was a ton of fun playing in Ottawa. And that's kind of where I really established myself as a, as a, as a real full-time solid top four defenseman for the next five years with Ottawa. It was a blast. We had some great memories playing there. And then going back, I actually didn't get traded. It was, I was a free agent and ended up going back five years later to sign in Anaheim. Uh, and a little bit of a connection there. Pierre Gauthier uh, had actually acquired me three times. So they say in hockey, you always have to have somebody in your corner. So that first time I was traded to Anaheim, Pierre Gauthier was the assistant general manager. 
And then he went and became the GM in Ottawa. So there was some history there. So he brought me to Ottawa. And then he went back to Anaheim to become the GM five years later and signed me as a free agent. So you, you go where you're wanted. And for me, uh, I guess I was the type of player Goche liked. So when, uh, when he made the offer for me to go there as a free agent, it was, it was a good fit for me. And hey, like they say, third time's the charm, you know? <laughs> yeah, you, you, the, only, the only tough part of that story, Ryan, is Pierre Gauthier got fired in Anaheim. <laughs> so <laughs> when he got fired, I ended up getting traded to Nashville, oh, uh, which, which was awesome, uh, which I'm sure we'll chat about later. I know you spent some time in Nashville, but uh, I was lucky. I, I was in a few different spots, but when I did go to Nashville eventually, it was uh, so much fun going there, making the playoffs for the first time. And uh, as anybody that knows it has been to Nashville, fantastic city, fantastic people, and uh, a great place, a great sports town. Yeah, let, let's chat about Nashville. So, like, outside of Detroit, Anaheim, and Ottawa, you spent time in Nashville and Boston. One thing I want to find out, out of those five NHL teams, which experience would you have to say was your favorite and why? But it sounds like Nashville might have been, well, outside of Ottawa, I feel like Nashville might have been your second favorite experience just because of how great the town is. For sure. Like, I'll be honest, Anaheim's got incredible weather. But uh, I would say as far as living, uh, people, the community, uh, I, uh, my hometown's obviously a special place. Boston's a great sports town. Like, uh, they've got everything there. But when I was in Boston, we had a terrible team. Like, we were awful. We missed the playoffs. So Boston's a great sports town, except when you lose. But Nashville, Nashville was awesome. Uh, anyone that's been there, the way the downtown is laid out with where the Tennessee Titans play, the Predators play, you can walk to both venues. you got the downtown. you got Broadway. you got great restaurants, great schools. And we lived about 25 minutes outside of town. A little area called Franklin, which is just a wonderful place. So I, I had a great experience. And anytime you have a great coach, too, I had Barry Trotz as my coach there for two years. And, and Barry is one of the best people you'll ever meet in sports. A great coach, great person. And he just has a knack for getting the best out of his players because he's just such an honest guy. And, and you want to play hard for him. So for me, I loved playing for Barry Trotz. Uh, we ended up making the playoffs there for the first time ever in uh, Predators history, which was a special time. The city went nuts. I remember our owner uh, cracking out champagne after we clinched in Colorado. And I'm like, man, I thought you're only supposed to get champagne when you win the Stanley Cup. But we got it there in Nashville for making the, the playoffs for the first time ever. And yeah, special place. Uh, had some special times there, and uh, anyone that hasn't ever been to Nashville, I highly recommend doing it for a weekend. It's it's, it's a great trip. So I, I've got a funny story myself from Nashville. So we actually, I was um, playing baseball in there 2019, right before the pandemic hit. My uh, Special Olympics softball team got invited to represent Canada at the North American Special Olympics Games, and we were actually playing at Diamonds uh, out of Franklin as well. Um, but our main like residents for the games were based out of like between Franklin and Nashville. Uh, I forget what the um, like what the area was, but anyway. So we go to Nashville on our day off, and because uh, we had like an eight a.m. game and then an eleven a.m. game, and then after that we were done. So we're like, okay, cool. We can spend the day, go tour around, see what's up. So we go and we uh, we get dropped off at this little barbecue place. 
and we tell our uh, bot, like our driver being like, okay, we're going to spend like three hours downtown. Like you said, go check out the Pred stadium, go take a walk around uh, like the strip down the main strip downtown and everything. And when we call our driver to be like, Hey, we're like, we're going to be like 30 minutes. We're good to go. They're like, Oh, uh, sorry. You're actually going to be like three hours. Um, our, our bus broke down. <laughs> So we got stranded downtown Nashville in this like little barbecue place. Uh, so we ended up grabbing more food and then like eventually we got uh, like a, a replacement bus to come grab us for the night and get us back to our, our residence. But it was so funny to see and just like still like just chilling downtown Nashville and just see the different people, see all the bustling music that happens from like each different bar. Like you walk by one bar and you're like, Oh, this is a great song. You go to the next one. This is another great song. And it just keeps going and going. And it was such a really cool experience to kind of like, just see that whole kind of like setup happening because like being from like Toronto, you don't really see that much bustling kind of atmosphere. And while yes, everything's downtown, like you can walk to the Sky Dome and I still call it Sky Dome. <laughs> and you can walk to East, the Scotiabank Arena. It's not the same effect as Nashville for, by any means. And way better barbecue. <laughs> there you barbecue go. For you sure. had your barbecue going, so that's a good thing. Yeah, so it was a good time. But yeah, Nashville is definitely like one of my favorite uh, cities I've been to so far. So um, so after the 20, 2007 season, sorry, with Boston, um, I want to talk about how things ended for you for your hockey career, but how your broadcasting career started. So you called it a career after suffering some knee injuries. But as most sports players do, you didn't find yourself too far from the hockey rink as you started off your broadcasting career covering hockey uh, from the booth. What was the transition like for you to go from the ice to the booth? It was pretty good. And one thing I, I did that I would recommend to a lot of guys that are still playing is I got proactive. My, my last year in Boston, I knew it was coming to an end. Like uh, Way too many ice packs, a lot more sore after games. So I, I, uh, the NHLPA... Uh, actually offers players um, courses and, and uh, things you can do to help prepare yourself for when you're done playing. It's called it their uh, life after hockey program. So one of the things you could do was take a broadcasting course. So I actually flew down to Quinnipiac University to did a week long, uh, it'd be an intense 12 hours a day program where you, you kind of learn the basics of broadcasting we did a, uh, this is actually a funny story. We had to go to an independent league baseball game and broadcast two innings each. There was, I think there was 12 guys in the course with me. Gary Volk was there. Bill Ranford was there. Glenn Anderson, he used to play for the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, Bob McGill. Uh, and so there were some guys there that were all interested in broadcasting. But this course was fantastic. We did the, the baseball game. We did a, we did a mock kind of a sports show where you got to go in and, and interview another player. Uh, you got to pretend you're, well, it wasn't actually pretending because we were on camera doing a, a um, uh, some replays and doing all kinds of different things. So that course really helped. And then when I came back after playing in Boston, I started going on the radio part-time and radio is a great way to prepare you if, if you want to do have a career on television because you really got to think on your feet. Because on radio, you can't have dead air. So you got to learn to ad lib, to talk, when sometimes there's not a lot of topics to talk about. So radio 
uh, was really important for me right here in Ottawa. At the time, it was called the Team 1200. It's now TSN 1200 radio. So I started doing that. And then I ended up doing that for about five years. I contacted Sportsnet, talked to uh, some people there. And then I started doing some uh, segments between periods. And that was, again, getting more reps, getting comfortable behind the camera. Did some things on local television here. Did some Ottawa Centers post-game shows. So all those things kind of helped prepare me to eventually go on television. Uh, and one other thing I did, I took some, some public speaking courses. And these were online public speaking courses that were really difficult. But again, it was more reps, more preparing yourself, how to become a better speaker. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that was really difficult in that course, we had to do a 13-minute uh, speech online where you took, your, um, you took your camera and you had to record yourself doing a speech. Okay. So uh, if anyone's ever tried that, it's difficult because you're talking into a camera and then our class had to uh, grade what they thought of it. And it was good. There were actually four different levels of this public speaking course. So that was another thing I did that was uh, really beneficial. So as far as the transition went, I just didn't jump on television right away. It took about five years to really get better at it. And still, when you do get on TV, it, it's really tough. You know? And you'll see a lot of people on TV will go on and then people will be critical of them. It's, it's a lot tougher than it looks. And the one thing you do need is, is you need reps. And, and uh, the more reps, the better. And still to this day, I'll go on TV. And I'm sure there's some times I suck. <laughs> but it's... Uh, it's uh, it's an ongoing process and something I really enjoy. Like I enjoy doing it uh, and it's something I want to keep doing. But uh, that life after hockey program with, with the NHL PA was, was really beneficial for me. And one of the things that you have to have with TV or radio is personality too, right? That they go hand in hand with it and you have to make sure that you're going to be just as entertaining as the next guy because that's what draws people to your show too, right? Yeah, for sure. No, it's, 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 uh, and it's something a lot of people want to do. So you, you got to be good. You, you, you got to be able to talk. You got to be able to articulate. And the, and the one thing that's very challenging is when you're doing color commentating for, for live games, you've only got a short window of getting your thoughts in between, between the whistles because as soon as the puck drops, you got to get out. So you got to get your point across quickly, precisely. Don't mumble your words. Uh, don't screw up the names because there's always an online audience that's watching and judging and they'll hammer you right away. And, and the last thing you want to do is look like an idiot on live television. So, and that, that for me, that's fun because it, it kind of, it, it, it brings back that pressure of, it's, obviously it's not the same as playing, but broadcasting, there's an element of pressure there of knowing that if you screw up, you're going to look stupid. So I, I kind of like that pressure because it brings back a little bit of that competitive juice of, uh, of, of competing again. The, be the best part, too, about the online audience is like the trolls that make an account that's <laughs> created on Twitter in July 2021. And they only have like three tweets. And then they're like, you're the worst person out there. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, OK, you made this account just to troll. Like, you know. Exactly. For sure. Now I'm going to hit you with probably the hardest question I'm going to hit you of this whole show. What out of all the games that you've played and all the different matchups that you've had, is there one game that stood out as either the most challenging or the most fun game that you got to compete in? So 
I'll go back to a game I was playing for the Ottawa Senators. It was game, I'm trying to, I think it was game 80 because we hadn't gone to an 82 game schedule yet. It was the last game of the season and we needed to win this game to qualify for the playoffs for the first time ever in Senators modern day history. We were playing the Buffalo Sabres and at that time the Buffalo Sabres had Dominic Haslick as their goaltender. We needed to win to qualify for the playoffs and we had to beat Haslick who at the time was the best goalie in the NHL. He was winning heart trophies. He was unbelievable. We ended up winning this game 1-0. Uh, Steve Duchesne scored the winning goal. For people here in Ottawa, it's, it's one of the biggest goals in franchise history because that goal paved the way to make the playoffs and, and uh, to really get the Senators from being a, a team that really struggled for the first couple of years to now a team that made the playoffs. So that game was, that game was intense. It was, uh, I'm not going to say difficult, it was fun because – all the, all the cards were on the table. It was win and you're in, playing Hasek. It came right down to the wire. We didn't score until late in the game. Uh, and being from Ottawa was a special feeling for me because growing up here, albeit we didn't have an NHL team, but I just had so many friends and family in the stands and, and making the playoffs. That building was electric. Uh, it, it was one of the most fun games I'd ever played in. And the uh, the cherry on the top for it was we won and we got into the playoffs. So I, I would go with, with that game. I th- it was in 1997, I believe. Last game of the season, we won at one nothing. Hey, that's a great way to also, like, end off the regular season. You're not, like, you go into the room and you're like, all right, you can celebrate a little bit, but not too hard because now you got the playoffs to focus about too, right? Exactly. So I like to end off every show I do with a words of – uh, wisdom segment. So what would your words of wisdom or advice be for the next generation of athlete or individual that wants to make like a name for themselves in the NHL or kind of want to just make it kind of like big, even like the AHL or an ECHL team or anything like that? Uh, I'll be really, I'll be really simple on this one. Cause I have kids that are going through hockey right now and myself stay in school. <laughs> if you've got an opportunity and you're a hockey player, and you're getting to that elite level, you got an opportunity to combine school and hockey, I would do it because hockey only lasts so long and you need a plan for when you're done playing hockey. And, and I, I, I can't stress enough as being a student athlete for me, being able to combine both of them. I obviously took the OHL route, but uh, my oldest son is going to begin school this year. He's going to go play hockey at Western. I couldn't be happier for him because he's going to now get a chance to do something that I didn't get a chance to do. And that's go to school and get a degree and prepare yourself for what's going to happen after hockey. I I think it's something, Hey, it's great to chase your dreams, but if you can do both, that would be my advice to any young player, get your schooling, have a plan because hockey's not going to last forever. Some great words of wisdom from Jason York. Thank you so much, Jason, for being on the show. I really appreciate the time. Uh, and thank you for sharing your experiences of, uh, of your career. And all the best with the broadcasting work in the future. Hey, my pleasure. Ryan. Great chatting with you. Awesome. Uh, until next time, we'll talk to you soon.